Hello and welcome to today's VJ Humong podcast. We are a global open access video journal bringing you the latest in hematological oncology. In today's podcast, you will hear from Hetty Caraway, Justin Taylor, Olatiosi Odenike, and Andrew Bruner, who share their thoughts on how to improve the efficacy of drug approvals in MDS. The experts address several topics, including the heterogeneity of this disease, improving treatment approaches in high-risk MDS, targeting different mutations, and more. All right, well, that was a fantastic session that we just had at the IW MDS 2022 first inaugural uh, meeting. Uh, what a delight to be here. And I'm, uh, my name is Dr. Hetty Caraway. I work currently at the Cleveland Clinic as, one of, as the leukemia director there. And I'm very excited to be here with my colleagues who also were part of the symposium today and part of this amazing session. So I'll let um, each of you introduce yourself and talk, we'll talk briefly about each of the talks that you, you each gave independently. So let's begin. Hi, I'm Teo CEO Danike, and I'm at the University of Chicago. I also serve as the director of the leukemia program here, out there, and it was very great, very exciting to be at this meeting. Um, hi, I'm Andrew Bruner. I'm at Massachusetts General Hospital Cancer Center, and uh, there I run our uh, MDS clinical trial portfolio. And um, yeah, I think this meeting was excellent. I had the opportunity to talk about how p53 mutated disease, especially in higher risk MDS, represents a big challenge for us, and some of the recent clinical trial efforts to treat it. And I'm Justin Taylor. I'm at the Sylvester Comprehensive Cancer Center at the University of Miami, here in Miami. And I'm a physician scientist, so I got to talk a little bit about the science behind uh, XPO1 inhibition and a little bit about the clinical trials that have been done so far and where we're going from there. Yeah, this has been a fantastic session, and I think for many of us, just a delight to be together to talk about what's needed in the MDS space and where we go from here. And and hopefully year on year, we'll continue to have further discussion. Toyosi, you really um, focused on the, my, the Milo match. So tell us a little bit about the efforts there and you know, both the short-term and the long-term vision for that. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So one significant um, challenge with myelodysplastic syndromes in general is uh, the heterogeneity. Um, we are treating most of our patients the same way, whereas we know that both biologically um, and um, also from a physical perspective that they are very different. Um, and so the purpose of the MyeloMatch is to use a precision medicine approach or lens uh, to be able to rapidly screen our patients for the uh, mutations underlying their disease and then based on that allocate them to clinical trials that have been developed to match you know their spectrum of mutations. It is our hope that that will bring us closer to finding the best therapy for the right patient sort of at the right time um, and um, more to come in the years um, coming forward. What a huge effort. And you talked a lot about the NCI and you talked a lot about the cooperative groups with that. Can you teach us a little bit about how people get involved in the kind of the infrastructure? Sure. So it's been a, 
very collaborative, extensive effort between the National Cancer Institute and um, cooperative groups. Um, so these are the uh, groups that are charged with developing clinical trials all across the country. Um, and so a number of academic investigators are involved in that regard. There's also a laboratory component to it. And then there are these individual working group baskets. Um, I am privileged to chair the MDS working group basket and investigators across the country who are interested in MDS and in solving that problem, at least with regards to finding therapies for our patients, uh, can join us. We meet monthly. A Herculean effort, as you described in your beautiful talk. Um, and with that, I'll transition to two uh, investigators that are really leading the effort with some some um, some of the most challenging patient populations so whether it's the relapse refractory MDS setting or with novel therapies one such population uh, harboring TP53 mutations you spoke about Dr. Bruner about those patients exposed to APR246 and kind of the current data um, that is or is not out there floating. <laughs> and we're eager, eagerly awaiting and kind of lessons learned and how do we move forward and your thoughts on that. So Absolutely. share with us some of the, the lessons that you taught us in today's uh, discussion. And I think it segues well with uh, the idea of being able to try to match people with a targeted um, a treatment that really is focused on their disease. Um, P53 mutated uh, MDS, higher risk MDS is a, a real challenge. I think all, all of us in the clinic, uh, when faced with patients who have this disease, you know, really struggle for how to provide them the best therapy. And there are some treatments that work for too few patients um, and responses are not uh, long enough. So really it's an area of immediate uh, need that um, uh, I'm glad is being explored. Uh, and APR246 or Pranendapop um, is one such way that we can learn a lot. This is a, a very large cohort of patients with P53 mutated disease, um, randomized between either azacitidine or azacitidine plus epronetapop in the phase three study. Um, and also reflecting a lot of uh, early phase uh, data, phase one slash two studies that have shown how we can uh, think about um, this disease. I, you know, I think we're all waiting for the final phase three data and it will be really important to learn from. A, a resounding echoing message from this meeting is just how much we can learn from our experiences in these phase three trials, regardless of the endpoint. Um, we learn about the biology of the disease, we learn about who uh, has some meaningful benefits, and we learn about how to design better trials for our patients and the future and efforts such as Milomatch or other efforts. Um, how do we refine those so we really are doing uh, well for our patients. Um, I think that there are, are a lot of lessons um, that we can take directly into the clinic, um, particularly around how we deal with uh, novel biomarkers, how we, the heterogeneity of this disease, uh, MDS, even within one gene mutation has so much heterogeneity, it's really challenging. Um, and also, how do we think about transplant and uh, more definitive therapies or phases of treatment. Um, and so, while we're still waiting, <laughs> on some of the final results of, with APR246, no matter what, I think it will put the, push the field forward, which I'm excited about. Mm. Well, thank you so much for your thoughts on 
all of that. It was not an easy task to kind of, uh, I think you probably had one of the more challenging topics to address, um, so I was not envious <laughs> of that, but you did a fantastic job. And then um, Justin, please share with us some of your thoughts and your work, your translational work in this area with XPO. Yeah, I think it's a great uh, lead-in to this talk because we heard about how we could be targeting different mutations, <clears throat> and also we heard in this meeting about how the classifications have recently changed and, and p53 uh, single or double mutation uh, being different classifications, and we hear about drugs targeting them. And so, you know, it still remains though that azacitidine or decidabine, these so-called hypomethylene agents, are the mainstay or backbone of treatment for high-risk MDS. And we also heard in this session some uh, exciting trials for low-risk MDS. Uh, um, but really what I was talking about was focusing on high-risk MDS patients that have been uh, treated with hypomethylene agent. and the. Therapy has failed them. They haven't failed the therapy, but the, the, the therapy has failed to, uh, you know, adequately give them a, a response, and that happens in about 50 to 60 percent of patients. So it's a, a big need, and uh, particularly we're focusing on uh, one target, but there's many. And so um, one thing that I study in my lab is this protein XPO1, which exports proteins out of the nucleus, and that has been shown to be a, a good target in uh, other cancers, and it's led to FDA approval of a drug called Selenexor. And uh, so I reviewed some of the data on Selenexor and MDS. There were a lot of toxicities with that drug in these patients who you know, already have low blood counts, and, and decreasing those blood counts further, um, you know, is, is not necessarily helpful, and we had great discussions about endpoints uh, in trials. And so luckily there's a second generation drug called Eltonexor, which uh, seems to be a little more, more tolerable, but um, both of these were early phase studies, so you know, not to be rushed into the clinic, I think they just show that there was some activity. Uh, and they are expanding the study to enroll more patients. Uh, we now know the safe dose to do that with the Eltonexor, so the next steps will be uh, enrolling more patients to see is it really um, promising enough to take forward to a larger study, and I thought that was another good thing that came out of this session was um, how do we identify the most promising drugs and uh, how do we really think through the trials before we go enrolling a large number of patients and find out the study didn't work as we had hoped. Yeah, some really important um, comments from uh, Rich Little, right? Really kind of highlighting the fact and the importance of the biomarkers and validating them and or using them in earlier phase studies so that we kind of make earlier decisions about whether or not we're truly hitting the target or not. Um, and challenging us to think uh, more creatively in that space rather than just embarking on these large studies. Um, so I, I definitely took that message home too, um, and hopefully as we move forward with novel agents in this space, we'll be able to um, have impact there. And I think some of the larger questions was really around how do we accelerate approval or get these novel agents to the patients in need sooner. And so much of the, the effort over the last couple of days was really focused on conversations around that. Um, one of the, the presentations that I had the, the um, honor of doing today was really focusing on patients that have um, 
uh, overexpression of RARA, and for those patients, uh, they may in fact benefit from an agent called SY1425, and early data using that agent in combination with the backbone of azacitidine uh, for patients with, uh, that with AML that were unfit for intensive chemotherapy did appear to have improvement in their uh, CR rates overall response rates that were promising as well as transfusion independence. And with the, that data, it's now moved forward with the SELECT-1 in the AML study and the SELECT-1 MDS study. So with regard to that, I think really exciting next steps with a drug that um, is fairly, um, has a pretty good toxicity profile and is well tolerated. And I think that kind of dovetails nicely with some of the other agents that we've been talking about and the challenges in the MDS space where we really um, have issues with tolerability and keeping patients on drug. Um, and then having challenges in the phase three space and specifically where uh, patients on monotherapy stay on drug longer than patients on combination therapy. So any thoughts on, on that issue uh, from anybody um, here? Um, I would say that um, we need to, I know we're all working very hard in trying to be thoughtful and innovative and creative about clinical trial design, but I also think we have to interject some patients early on um, to make sure that, in fact, we're doing very careful dose finding as, and sequence finding trials and, you know, really not brushing those toxicities under the carpet, like, you know, it'll be okay, it was just a... Just move forward. Yeah, yeah. just move forward. It seems kind of exciting, right? Yeah, so I think investing a little more time upfront early can yield huge dividends later. Just hitting that maximum tolerated dose, you know, that's probably not what we should be aiming for, right? Because our patients have to stay on it. Yeah. We want them to stay on it long enough to be able to get a benefit. I think we're getting those messages from the FDA too, where they're talking about, you know, dose de-escalation rather than dose escalation. So thank you for that comment. Any other thoughts? Actually, it, it parallels really nicely the session earlier talking about frailty and, uh, you know, we have an older patient population and this idea of really um, goal-directed therapy in some ways for patients. Some patients, you might want to go with intensive therapy and your strategy is going to be very different than patients where maybe choosing an optimal uh, uh, gentler approach or, or st starting and ramping up to their tolerance um, may be a much more appropriate strategy. And can we get into um, different phases of therapy based on goals with our patients? I think, I think that that is increasing, increasingly a message rather than just treating everyone uh, with a blanket regimen. And, and dose modifying, but not telling anybody. <laughs> or I mean, some of the data that uh, was presented was the number of cycles that was reported in clinical trials versus the real world, world data of what our patients are actually able to tolerate. Yeah, I was just gonna mention that the azacitidine and venetoclax studies were also presented at this meeting. The speakers were uh, virtual. This was a nice hybrid meeting, but I thought they hit on some of those points about how the, the dose used is not the same as an AML and it's a shorter duration and if they had to reduce the doses they were trying to reduce the azacitidine dose first and so lot, lots of, I learned lots of interesting things from that. Yeah well thank you to each of you for the work that you did today and the work that you do every day to treat patients with myelodysplastic syndromes. 
I'm looking forward to many future meetings together with each of you. And thank you for coming today and doing this brief. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Humong and subscribe to VJ Humong Podcasts on Spotify, Apple and Podbean. See you next time.